Hey everyone, Kira Davis here. If you're like me, you're always looking for new ways to be healthier, be more fit. Well, eating better is easier than ever with Factors delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. You've got your two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals. They're ready to heat and eat whenever you are. You've got pancakes, smoothies, and a lot more than that. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. I like this part a lot. Factor is flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. My husband and I travel a lot for work, and some weeks we need more meals than others. So that is a huge plus. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. <laughs> I'm raising my hand. I'm not a very good cook, so I love that. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. And y'all, don't we all want to save more money these days? Don't we all need to save more money these days so you can save money and eat right? What's not to love here? Well, check this out. If you go over to factormeals.com slash JLTY50 and you use code JLTY50, you'll get 50% off. Talk about saving money. So factor, F-A-C-T-O-R, factormeals.com slash J-L-T-Y 50 and use my code, my code, J-L-T-Y 50 and you'll get 50% off. That's code J-L-T-Y 50 at factormeals.com to get 50% off. Eating better has never been easier. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama is back along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This is the FCB Radio Network, home of the best personalities and where real talk lives. Online at FCBradio.com. FCB. If you like the way I talk, then why am I on your mind? If you don't like the way I talk, then why are we wasting time? We fight and we argue, you'll still love me blind. If we don't miss this whole thing, I guaranteed I can blow your mind. Welcome to a mini episode of Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis. This week, I had the pleasure of interviewing Christian Toto. He's a film critic. He is editor of his own website, Hollywood in Toto, and he's a contributor to The Daily Wire, among other places. And I love talking to Christian because he loves movies and I love movies. And he is also very 
uh, connected to the culture, which is something we always talk about on the show. And, uh, you know, we're all working from home, so you may hear, uh, you know, life going on in the background, dogs or doors closing, stuff like that. So just be warned that stuff's going on. Please enjoy my interview with Christian Toto. Welcome to another edition of Just Listen to Yourself, a mini episode. I am here with an old and dear friend of mine, Christian Toto. He is a film critic and he's written for sites like Breitbart and works with the Daily Wire these days. And Christian, your website is hollywoodandtoto.com, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yes. And you're in Denver, or, or Colorado, not Denver. Oh, Denver, yeah. Yeah, Denver. How's the COVID your COVID experience going there right now? Are you guys pretty much open back to normal or? We are pretty much open. Some places you wouldn't realize we're pretty much open. It's been interesting to watch. Uh, the first time I entered a Target and the, the one of the clerks said, oh, you don't need a mask. I took mine off. But no one was maskless. They were all masked up. Oh I think gosh. that's sort of improving in the last two or three weeks, uh, maybe Maybe a third of the people are mask free, but people are really masked up. And I still see people outside alone masked up. So it's, I suspect it's similar to other parts of the country. And I haven't ventured to Boulder yet, which is a more progressive uh, region. And I suspect maybe the masking might be more prevalent there. But, you know, I'll, I'll probably check that out soon. Yeah, it's the same here. We still have the mandates, though. But now it's like some places you go, people are sort of just tired of it and you know i'm i'm experimenting just walking around in stores without it and i think mm -hmm. where i am people are i haven't i've only been approached once and i carry it with me because i'm not going to have a battle over it. i just want to see if i can do it and so i think i've been approached once but mostly around here people are kind of like oh, i'm just over it no matter what the governor says like most of the people in my area are vaccinated and they're also mm -hmm. intelligent people so they don't feel you know, scared when they're vaccinated. But if you just go 30 miles north of here to L.A., it is and L.A.'s got a, a pretty decent vaccination rate and COVID numbers are dropping and you're still seeing people masked up everywhere. Walking alone, it's weird, <laughs> like on the beach. Yeah, yeah actually, I think Denver, maybe I don't know the greater Colorado picture, but I feel like the vaccination process went very smoothly here. There were a lot of different places you could get it. It certainly was aggressive in the beginning. I think you could walk in any place now and get one. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't the case immediately, but I, I, I give local government credit for getting it out there, making it available, uh, teaming with all these different pharmacies in the area. I got mine at a uh, a CVS inside of a Target. So yep, I mean, yeah. everything was, yep. they're all doing their best. So it, it seemed to work out. Yeah, I said I wasn't going to get mine until I could just walk in sit down you know i didn't want to like be trying to claw over somebody to get a vaccination and that's where we're at here in california now i mean i was able to just walk in the same day and yeah. and get it so we're not despite who our governor is we're not doing too bad here with it but that's not what this show is about i i i wanted to talk to you because as you know i mean i'm an amateur filmmaker myself and we're we both are in the same industry in the punditry industry um christian is also um a conservative pundit like myself and we talk a lot about the arts and messaging and and stuff like that but i want to ask you a little bit about your job because sure. as a film critic because I hear a lot of like as a once I started making films, you know, film critics are are the most hated or loved <laughs> people. And um, 
I don't think I used to love to read film reviews. I still do. But when I started making films, I did have that little pang of like, well, wait a minute, this isn't fair. You know, this person didn't make this movie like this movie was really hard to do. And it takes a lot of work and time and effort. And these jerks just sit around with their big buckets of popcorn and on their couches and you know they judge the rest of us and I know a lot of people in the filmmaking community feel that way how how do you define your job and how do you deal with that type of criticism if you even find it to be criticism no I mean I understand that completely I am not a filmmaker but I'm reviewing films and there's a you know it takes me two hours to watch a movie under two hours to write a review, and I, often much less. I, I tend to write very quickly, so it's not fair, it, you know. And and from that perspective, even a, a bad film, there's so much blood, sweat, and tears into the process. I, at the end of the day, I try to be a surrogate, and I think that's what most film critics should be. Where you know, I like horror. I don't like uh, you know uh, Elizabethan dramas. I don't like period costumes. It's just not my thing. But I can't go to a movie that features that and say, oh, I didn't like it because it's my, not my style. You have to kind of go where the where the movie's trying to take you. Uh, so I just try to be as connected to the viewer as possible and be as honest as possible. I, I don't want to be mean and snarky for no reason. I think there are times where it's called upon uh, and you kind of wonder what were they thinking. So I, I think generally speaking, that's my approach. Uh, from a political lens, I am right of center, but I don't want to go rah, rah, right of center. Everything's great if it's a conservative film. And conversely, if it's a liberal film, I, I don't want to just kind of pan it because it doesn't agree with, with my specific political values. That I think that's unfair, too. So uh, it's it's a fine line I walk. Uh, I try to do the best I can. I try to be transparent as I can. And uh, so that's my general approach. And I, I, I do critique my fellow critics more often than usual lately. It mm. seems like a subject you shouldn't do. You shouldn't pick on your peers, but I feel like a lot of times they're really using other uh, examples, other rationales for their negative reviews. And I don't think that's really fair. And I, I also think that some critics are saying, well, you know, this story, the cast isn't diverse enough. Well, you know, I guess you can mention that, but it, it shouldn't, you shouldn't take points off. It, it, it is what it is. Well, let's talk about that. That's an interesting thing that you bring up. Let's talk about that. I didn't even think about this from a critic's point of view. Mm -hmm. So um, the idea that like one of the things that bothers me, I do talk about it on this show from time to time. But one of the things that bothers me about modern entertainment, and you and I have talked about this before, uh, like I'll watch something that doesn't line up with my values. That's fine. Like I don't expect Hollywood to accommodate my every value, but um it seems like more and more I tune into stuff and it, it feels like it's just aimed at making me feel uncomfortable. It feels like it's just aimed at making me like want to turn it off or insulting my, um, you know, my point of view about things excessively. Like I don't mind some ribbing and everybody deserves that or whatever, but almost to a point where it becomes the whole point of the show or the movie instead of it being about the topic the subject our our mutual friend nick searcy says that in hollywood nick searcy who started in, i don't know i don't know what i think seven oscar nominated films he's been in now so he's he's a big deal but don't tell him i said that but and he'll, he'll tell you he's a big deal no he will <laughs> don't tell him i said that but he says you know Hollywood's really not making movies for you anymore. They're making movies for each other now. Each project is just an audition for the next project. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it seems like f film critics have picked up on that. So instead of 
reviewing a film on the merits of production value, acting, um, plot, writing, all of the traditional elements that you're in your field you would go go to, they're thinking about how is my review going to be seen in the cultural zeitgeist? And I think, do, do you feel like that sullies the world of film review just as much as it does the world of filmmaking? Yeah, I mean, I've noticed that in the last few years for sure. Um, not not with everyone. I don't want to make a blanket, but you're seeing it more and more often. I, You know, I don't know if it's they're thinking directly, I want to appease my peers. I want to be sort of part of the in-group. I think it may be organic within them that they want to express certain views in mm. their reviews and, and judge by certain criteria. Uh, one quick example, it's a couple of years old. It was a science fiction film. I think it might have been called Kin. I think Dennis Quaid was in it. It came and went. But the Entertainment Weekly critic, and this is a you know very big you know uh, outlet, just savaged the movie in part, in large part, because there was a teen character who had a, a space gun, and then he used this space gun against the bad guys to save members of his family, and they thought it was very irresponsible to have a teenager using a gun-like <laughs> device. Because the writer was, you know, more for gun control or anti-gun. I don't even know his specific stance, but I'm thinking, is the movie good? Did you yeah. have a good time? Was it entertaining? Was it interesting? Did the characters connect with you? He, I mean, he, the review made it so obvious that this was a key driving force behind, I think he gave it an F uh, rating. Wow. Made it an F. Uh, so, you know, that is out there. That is for sure out there. And uh, I, I think that doesn't really serve anyone well. I, I think... You know, uh, I, one of my favorite examples of, of messaging in, in, in Hollywood is George A. Romero, the, the king of the zombies. He, uh, he made Night of the Living Dead, and he had sort of really nuanced thoughts about racism in the late 1960s in a zombie movie. Mm -hmm. And it didn't stop the movie cold. It was just part of the process. And then in the 70s, he, he, he commented about consumerism by having zombies in a mall just kind of mindlessly walking around. It was brilliant. And you could watch it. You could miss it. You could think about it. It didn't slow the movie down. Right. It was just expertly kind of combining the two. I mean, I think often social commentary in movies and TV shows is wonderful. It, yeah. it makes it a richer experience. But when you can tell that they're stopping the story cold for the lecture, I, I don't think that that's that's anyone a great well. just, it's... way to put it stopping the story cold for the lecture. So I just watched I finally finished the second season of the boys on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, have you watched it, Christian? Yeah, I loved it and disliked it, but I mostly loved it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm enjoying the show who the actor who plays Homelander. Um, I don't know his name, but he is so good. He's true. You know, his name is slipping my mind. I'm thinking he's probably in his mid 40s. And, and my thought was, where has he been? Like, yes, a star. Yes. He's so interesting. Not just handsome, but like charismatic yes. and evil. And you see a lot of everything going on. going on inside of him. And that is a complicated yeah. role because you're you know, you got to be caught. He's confident, but insecure. He's arrogant. Mm -hmm. But also, yes. you know, he's also just looking for love, like looking for acceptance. And I mean, everything that goes on behind his eyes in every scene. I'm like you. I'm like, where has this guy been? This guy is amazing. Yeah. yeah so I finally watched the, sh the second season and I binged it. So I get to the last episode and the or the last two episodes. And it is clear to me that there was a break between making the third to last episode and the last two episodes. And that break was the election. 
that was obvious to me that there that they had stopped filming for COVID, you know, and co that and then had maybe come back to production because I don't think the the season had been finished when we all went into lockdown. So somehow they got back into production to do it. And the and the last two episodes were so they remind me of the last season of Veep. Like it's so much uh, juicy stuff sacrificed to message mm. about in this case uh, Trump, you know, yeah. and and there were all kinds of little Easter eggs in there and stuff like that, which is fine. I can overlook that. I really can't. If you're entertaining me, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But what happened was they stopped the story for it. <laughs> they stopped yeah. the the forward momentum, and they had to hit me over the head with this, and and it just seems so inartful. It is. I think we'll look back at this history. I mean, hopefully we will have a creative bounce back. But I think we'll look back at this sort of segment in pop culture and say, what were we thinking? Because there's a lot of that going on. I don't watch much broadcast TV, but I do follow a site called Newsbusters. Mm-hmm. And they chronicle everything. They're, ex- they're, yeah, they're exhaustive great. in their approach. Yeah. And what they show is like it'll have a episode of a cop procedural and it'll have a Black Lives Matter message where it's very obvious. Right. There's a specific theme, a specific uh, talking point that they're talking no matter what you think about the issue it's there it's visible and you you read the dialogue and it doesn't sound like you and I talking it doesn't sound like people talking it sounds like maybe like a poli sci lecture or something yeah <laughs> yeah and, you know and even if I agree with the messages being told it just it doesn't feel like a story it just feels like something else and it it you know I, no one's stopping them and I guess until the ratings fall yeah and there are some sort of kind of consequences you know it just is what it is. It, it's the way pop culture is working. Not always. There's lots of good stuff out there. But uh, you can see it. You know, another great example is the Avengers, the uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, there was sort of a girl power moment. And it was so obvious and mm-hmm. so heavy handed mm-hmm. that even people on the left were thinking, oh, my God, you're pandering to us. <laughs> like, if, if no one likes it, yeah. then, you know, you've done something wrong. And it was so it, it was so obvious. It, it just you couldn't miss it. And, uh, I, you know, even the people who wanted to have that girl power moment thought, you did that's it badly. You made it obvious. Yeah. You stopped the whole motion. So. Well, that's, I believe that that's what happened to Star Wars too, right? You know, the, uh, um, the last Jedi, right? Is that the, I refused yeah. to, I mean, I watched it afterwards, uh, raging at the TV while I, well, I did not go to the movie theater to see it or, uh, but yeah, it was so heavy handed, so mm-hmm. heavy handed, uh, uh, such a, a story that has, I mean, I get that it's pop sci-fi now, but it has a lot of nuances to it. And uh, it was just so heavy handed that it was a disappointment. And again, I just I I think Nick is right that there are no consequences because you're just auditioning for the next film. Look at late night television. It's uh, Mm. I don't know who coined the term, but clapter. You don't go to Stephen Colbert to laugh hysterically. You go to have your, your, your views affirmed. And and he obliges. So, uh, you know, that's another aspect of our culture, which is sort of disappointing. And uh, I find you know, it extremely. I recently saw movie Roe versus Wade, and uh, I, you know, it's in theory a conservative movie. It's a pro-life movie. It should get my thumb, you know, going way up uh, on the in the Roger Ebert tradition. But it was very stuffed with talking points, and it didn't it didn't breathe. It didn't mm-hmm. tell a story. You can tell it was all this sort of these moving parts trying to kind of tell. And it wasn't a terrible film, but it just it didn't do what I think a movie like that could have done. And I 
same with uh, the Comey rule in Showtime. That was a miniseries that was sort of on the left, and it was so busy reciting these facts and getting these dates aligned and thinking, let I want to know these characters, even if I don't agree with the theme. Right. I want to I want to be told a story, and it wasn't that. And I so I, it can happen on the left and the right for sure. I think that a show that did this well was Star Trek. You know, I mean, I oh, can, gosh, yeah, yeah that it's a great example of being culturally relevant of not, I mean, of course, film is a reflection in a way. And so whatever society is looking like, that's what film is going to, is going to be like. I understand that. Mm-hmm. And society doesn't always look like I want it to look, which is why I'm happy as long as you're entertaining me. I don't need you to teach me. I can figure out my own political points of view. So but Star Trek was a show where, I mean, I was older. I watched Star Trek every week with my mom. It, it ran in reruns. And um, when I, it wasn't until I was older that I understood what some of the episodes were, you know? And then I'm like, oh my gosh, that was about racism. Or, oh yeah. my gosh, that was about sexism. Or, oh my gosh, this was about communism. Or, you know, I, I, because I was entertained, Twilight Zone, same thing, right? Be- because you're entertained, you can absorb the message. And now I just don't feel like there's any like avenue for absorption. Like the news media and mainstream film are the same thing. Maybe you want to speak to what's happening independently these days. I don't know if there's if you feel like the independent scene is, is starting to bubble up. We've got some big mergers coming up here. To a certain degree, I think there is a, a new space for independent voices. Uh, one quick thought about the Star Trek uh, yeah. sort of anecdote you're sharing. There's a reason we're still talking about that show 50 mm. plus years later. Yeah. Because it was good. Yeah. And, you know, all the fuzzy creatures and the dumb styrofoam rocks, who cares? It's, it's a heck of a story. So that's why I, I don't think we'll be talking about certain shows being shot today in 50, 60 years, because I don't think we'll care because they're not interesting. So, no, yeah. Um, so, so I, I think you're kind of hitting it about sort of independence yes. and artists kind of going rogue. Yeah. Uh, I just wrote a story about uh, Buddy Brown as a country Western singer. He said he went to Nashville, tried to go through all the, the usual hoops, was kind of making progress. They said, well, you know, you're too political. We kind of have to dial that down. He's like, no, this is what I want to be. So he went independent and he's got a YouTube channel that does very well. His songs kind of rocket up the iTunes charts from the country perspective. So he kind of did it his way without all the sort of the usual uh, trappings. And he's successful. Uh, Ryan Long is a very funny comedian. He's really, he's fiercely apolitical. I think he takes pride in that. And, and if you you know gave him some truth serum, he might swing one way or the other, yeah. speaking. But uh, he's doing great. I think he's working on a movie project. Uh, his videos just explode every week. And uh, it sounds like he's really, I mean, to hear him say it, it doesn't sound like a boastful guy. He's not doing like a uh, Andrew Dice Clay shtick, but <laughs> I think he's succeeding. And he's succeeding without any sort of traditional Saturday Night Live, late night TV. You know, Variety's not covering him. It's all independent, all because people are hungry for that content. So while the mainstream is kind of getting more, is kind of getting tighter with what they produce and the themes they share and the messaging, I think there is space, there is wiggle room for people to kind of blaze their own trail. What do you think about this merger, this Amazon buying uh, Warner Brothers? Is it Warner Brothers? MGM. MGM. Um, What do you think about that? (laughs) 
You know, I mean, the corporate side of things, I, I don't have much, as big a grip on. Mm -hmm. You know, it could sort of boost Amazon Prime and give them a whole new library to pull upon. But I thought it, what was interesting was that they wanted to get those IPs, the intellectual properties mm. that MGM has. Uh, I think Legally Blonde might be there. Um, certainly the, the Bond film, so there's sort of a, a, a caveat there. And when, when Bezos acquired MGM, they said, we want to reimagine these projects, these, you know, these titles for the new generation, like Rocky is also in there too. Oh, no. Reimagine? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. We reimagine them, and what does that mean? So, I'm scared. Uh, yeah, you know, now the Broccoli family has certain controls still <laughs> over the Bond franchise. And they've been, they've kind of nurtured it. Matter of fact, there's a great column in the New York Times recently from a Bond screenwriter who was very afraid of this deal and what it could mean to the Bond franchise and how the Broccoli family, in working with them, he worked with them to make this movie. And he was just like, they care about the character. They're, they're, they're shaping it. They're, they're keeping its, its core, its DNA intact. And how important that is, the fact that it's, you know, I think it started in 62 with Dr. No, and now we're here today clamoring for the new James Bond movie. That doesn't happen every every week. You know, these franchises are precious and they disappear too. So I, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I mean, you know, does does Bond go wokish and then, and then all of a sudden he's not Bond? Yeah, totally. How do you make a woke James Bond? I mean, part of his whole shtick is that he's such a rake, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, oh you know, gosh. One of the older Bonds, I, I, I don't know which, which movie it was, but Sean Connery kind of swats a... a a masseuse, a female masseuse on the, on the bottom of it. Like, I think we're all okay with that not happening anymore. Yeah. That seems like a pretty, a pretty uh, agreeable decision that he's not going to be doing that, but romancing women, breaking their hearts, yeah. killing people because he's a spy. Yeah. It, it's all, it's all what Bond is. And, and to lose that. I do think that there's value in Bond being chauvinistic, though. I really do because he's got money, Penny as his foil, and then they're adding all kinds of other female people into the universe even the right. idea that bond girls are so disposable that's a type of commentary you know what i mean i feel like we we lose even that type of commentary that that is like okay this is the bad side of bond this is the dirty side of him this is a side we don't like we like that he he's a super spy he can save us in any yeah. situation but also the trade-off for this super spy is this guy who's gonna you know treat women like dirt and pat the masseuse on the on the hiney you got to reconcile yeah. with that. <laughs> and and also maybe just the women who are attracted to him. Maybe it's the power. Maybe it's the bad boy. Maybe there's a commentary there. Yeah. Here's the thing with, with the, so the whole woke conversation. It really reduces the kinds of stories you can tell. Mm, good point. Yeah, you know, it takes away some of the nuance. It, 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 you know, heroes can be flawed. It actually often makes them more interesting. And if you kind of reduce those flaws, it makes it less interesting often. So that's that's an issue. And I, I, I often I feel like I want to talk about this more just real briefly. Yeah. Why do we have like 16,000 hitmen movies in the age of woke? <laughs> These guys and gals kill people yes. professionally with guns. They don't lose an ounce of sleep. And yet we're cool with that. Like the whole this whole woke setup is is got so many uh, 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 inconsistencies, and I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I'll watch a movie with a hitman. I like the, Wick, the John Wick movies. I'm fine. I'm mm -hmm. good. I can deal with it. But shouldn't be upset about that too. It is interesting. It is interesting, or what? Just again, Hollywood is sort of a reflection of our of of the chaos that's going on in regular society, and and the juxtapositions yeah. of our own society. You know, we care about this, but we don't care about that, or we. You know, it happens all all the time. In regular society, I I 
really feel strongly about the fact that here's my theory. Tell me if you think I'm off base here. I think that movies are getting worse in part because we have to market to China. We don't have to, but we choose to because that's the biggest market. And Mm. in order to market to China, forget all the other stuff that you have to take out to clear the censorship. So obviously we know that there are some things you can't like, you know, we all watch John Cena grovel. That was so embarrassing, Mm -hmm. but I get it. He's under contract. He had to fix it. And so besides what the communist government won't allow, Chinese culture is not very sophisticated because in during the People's Revolution, all their culture was erased. They 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 stopped everything, books and and entertainment and music. Everything was controlled by the state, which meant you had to you had to divorce people from their culture. So I'm not trying to say that they're intellectually inferior. What I'm saying is that culturally they're not developed because technically the way that the Communist Party has made it, their cultural their culture is really only like 80 or 100 years old now. So they don't have the film, like the sophistication to to consume nuanced pieces or you know, like they're they're going to buy um, the wall, not the town, you know, and I don't know. That's my theory. What do you think? Well, I, I think that's possible, but I think it's it's a multi. <laughs> there are many reasons why the films have gotten a bit weaker in recent years. I think it's certainly placating China in on multiple levels, which you discussed. Uh, also, you know, when you make a show for Netflix, Netflix, from everything I've read and heard and, and talked to people, they say, OK, go do it. Mm hmm. It's obvious. If you make a movie, there's studio notes aplenty, there's corporate pressure, there's all these different factors weighing in. Maybe, you know, too many cooks, uh, too many chefs ruin the the meal kind of a thing. And I think that impacts art as well. You got you to make it more bland. You got to have a common denominator. Um, so you can't have the edgy, risky stuff that, you, that might be engaging and different and, and you know, clever. So I, I, I think it's multiple things. Um, the cultural point you mentioned about China is interesting too. Also, China is getting better at making big, dumb, loud movies like we are. Mm-hmm. Like we used to be great at that and the best. And now they're able to kind of rep- replicate that to a degree where if you look at the top 10 movies in China, it's almost always Chinese movies, where yeah. maybe five, 10 years ago, it was a lot of American movies. So they don't need us as much anymore, which is going to be interesting because Hollywood basically sold its soul. Yes. They end up kind of empty. And if you're ever asking yourself, viewer or listener, why you have 80,000 billion jillion Avengers movies and 100 bajillion Fast and Furious movies, it's it's because of the Chinese appetite. And, you know, that that they're just placating the Chinese appetite. They're not making movies for us anymore, which I, I also feel on a political level is kind of dangerous because then we're getting their messaging, not our messaging. And the Chinese aren't yeah. woke. The Chinese are not woke. They are decidedly unwoke. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, a cultural soft power where we can, we can uh, project our message into the world and it should be, you know, that, you know, limited government or freedom or sort of the ability to create and, and be a free people. And we're, we're, we're shying away from that messaging, but China, when they make movies, it's a very cho- a pro China uh, experience and yeah. they're not afraid of putting that that sentiment into their storytelling so they do it purposely and they hide, they hide things you know that we do and they you know or we didn't go we don't even go there we don't write 
know, the Chinese villain is not going to happen in an American film at this point. So yeah. it just it just wouldn't exist from day one. Isn't it interesting? This is more uh, political than film, <laughs> but I think it it's an interesting observation that like because we both grew up during the Cold War and how the one of Reagan's strategies was to import American export American culture. Right. Like the, the Soviets banned blue jeans because blue jeans were so American and they knew the idea of freedom was in, infecting and contagious. And so they banned, you know, the, the uh, a huge a huge victory was Billy Joel getting it, getting to tour the Soviet Union. Like that was a big deal because not just because he was a great artist, but because he was exporting American culture and it triggered this, this desire for more for, for freedom and for expression and all of that. And then we saw what happened, but it's interesting that with China, it's the opposite. The Chinese government has managed to so well lock down their population that they've ended up exporting their culture to us, it's not the other way around. They've taken our capitalistic approach and used it to their benefit, but the the mirror has been turned on us now, and now they're like, "Oh, we're exporting back to you." Yeah, uh, this the sentiments about you know suppressing free speech and creativity. It's really, it's, it's a great point, uh, and, and I don't know how it changes. It, it's very it's very disturbing for sure, and. Uh, uh, one quick note. Yeah, I never saw it. I, I think it was on Netflix. It may still be there. And I think it was called Chuck Norris versus Communism. It was, just, it was a documentary about how VHS tapes of sort of rock'em sock'em American 80s action movies got smuggled into uh, countries yes. that were communism. Yes. And how people love them. And, and that was sort of kind of hitting at what you were, you were saying about how that cultural export was impacting uh, people's thinking, and uh, so I'm ashamed I never saw it. I, I, it's one I, I just on the top of my list. I just haven't really catch up with it. But that's an interesting little yeah. uh, time capsule. Okay, well, we're winding down to the end of our time here. Uh, on a on a more professional note, back to your job as a critic, okay. who is one of your favorite critics that you look up to? You know, as a as a boy, I sent one fan letter to a celebrity. It was Gene Siskel. <laughs> I love I, I that show back in the day, Cisco and Ebert. He didn't return my response. By the way, how many kids send fil- like <laughs> letters to film critics and how many don't. don't respond? It seems ridiculous. So, <laughs> hey, he was great. You know, to me, John Nolte brings the fire and brimstone. He's very aggressively partisan, but I. John I Nolte's really... over at Breitbart, for those who don't Breitbart, know. Yeah. Breitbart News, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know him a little bit. We worked together for a while. Yeah. But at the, at his core, he loves entertainment and mm-hmm. loves movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for all his sort of uh, partisanship at times, that always comes out. And I, and, I, and, I, and his turns of phrase are, are, are interesting or thoughtful or just cutting. So I love him. Uh, Kyle Smith at National Review, I, I think, is excellent. He's very good. Yeah. Roger Moore was a syndicated critic. I thought he was always excellent. Uh, Christy Lemire, I think that's how you say her last name. She was an AP critic. And it's funny, as they left their perches and went to their more independent uh, outlets, they kind of embraced being left of center. And I, I did that too. I was more down the middle and now I kind of have my own website so I can be more right of center. So kind yeah. of interesting how we've all drifted, but I, I really like them a lot. Owen Gleiberman is now with Variety. Uh, I think he's pretty good as well. Joe Layden, I think it's L-E-Y-D-O-N, 
he's certainly left of center, but he does a great job of being right down the middle. And I think he's got good, trustworthy reviews. I don't know if he's still doing it. He's he's a bit older, so uh, but he's someone I tracked in the past. That's what I loved about Roger Ebert. It's like it, he got a little wonky at the end of his life, which a lot of us yeah, do. Yeah. But if you go back and read older reviews of his, which which I do because I'm a nerd, but um, mm. he will he will criticize like the the cultural or social aspect of a film, but then he'll tell you why the film worked or why it didn't work. You know, you it's possible. Those things are possible. Is what I'm saying. Roger Ebert was very good at being very plain spoken and also being, like I said, the surrogate to the audience. I think he was excellent at that. Maybe one of the, re- one of the reasons why he was so successful. I think he, I think he excelled at both. He wasn't, he wasn't kind of bowl- bowling you over with the biggest word he could think of. Yeah. He didn't need to. That's not the point of it. He's trying to convey a message and, and capture any love movies. You know, I, I think that the best critics really, truly love movies. And uh, yes. that should be, it should be clear when you read their stuff. That's a great point to end on. It should be clear. And I feel like when you're watching films and, and movies, too, it should be clear that the people giving you this stuff love what they're doing. They're not trying yeah. to do anything else. Yeah. When I when I go to a movie, I bring a pad and a pen and I'll write down some notes. But my favorite part of a movie is when I go, oh, no, I'm just putting it down. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll recall it later. I'm having a good time and I don't want anything to kind of get in the way. So that's that's when I know the movie's kind of taking over me and, and I'm just getting lost in the experience. Yeah. Would you, were you doing that during The Quiet Place? Did you go see Quiet Place too? I didn't. I, you know, I think in the middle I was kind of, I was losing my enthusiasm, but that opening sequence, Oof. oh my goodness, yes. that was spectacular. And I, I, I almost think the movie peaked too soon as a result. Do you? Interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I loved it. We loved it. We're going to see The yeah. Conjuring this weekend and I uh, read your reviews. <laughs> I... <laughs> I'll be the judge. Well, Christian, tell everybody where they can uh, find you and all your stuff. Sure. My website is hollywoodintoto.com. I uh, update it every day. Also contribute to the Daily Wire, uh, Newsbusters, justthenews.com. I have a new piece coming soon at Real Clear Investigations. And on Twitter, I'm at, at hollywoodintoto. Well, great. Thank you, Christian. You're one of my favorite film critics. I read everything that you review. It's true. And uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. And I'm sure we'll connect again down the road. Thanks a lot. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Hey, everyone. Kira Davis here. If you're like me, you're always looking for new ways to be healthier, be more fit. Well, eating better is easier than ever with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, There's more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. You've got your two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals. They're ready to heat and eat whenever you are. You've got pancakes, smoothies, and a lot more than that. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. I like this part a lot. Factor is flexible for your schedule. 
You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. My husband and I travel a lot for work, and some weeks we need more meals than others. So that is a huge plus. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. <laughs> I'm raising my hand. I'm not a very good cook, so I love that. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. And y'all, don't we all want to save more money these days? Don't we all need to save more money these days so you can save money and eat right? What's not to love here? Well, check this out. If you go over to factormeals.com slash JLTY50 and you use code JLTY50, you'll get 50% off. Talk about saving money. So factor, F-A-C-T-O-R, factormeals.com slash J-L-T-Y 50 and use my code, my code, J-L-T-Y 50 and you'll get 50% off. That's code J-L-T-Y 50 at factormeals.com to get 50% off. Eating better has never been easier. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama is back along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Politics are becoming more and more divisive every day. My name is Colin Jackson. I'm the co-host of Not Another Political Podcast, where we reject popular opinions and prioritize solutions over partisan dogma. Download Not Another Political Podcast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast entertainment today. And that was Christian Toto. You can find his website, of course, at Hollywood in Toto. Thank you so much, Christian, for joining me this week. It was a pleasure, as always, to talk to you. I love talking about movies. And make sure that you download this week's regular episode. And I'll see you next week. And until I see you again, remember, every once in a while, just stop and listen to yourself. If you like the way I talk, then why am I on your mind? If you like the way I rock, then why are we wasting time? We fight and we argue, you'll still love me blind. If we don't miss this whole thing, guaranteed I can blow your mind. One tonight I'm alive in a dollar sign, guaranteed I can blow your mind. One tonight I'm alive in a dollar sign, guaranteed I can blow your mind. One. The FCB Radio Network. First Class Broadcasting Worldwide. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.